Thank you so much for having me. I can't even begin to tell you how grateful I am, my family is, anytime we have the opportunity to be a part of Hillsong Church. It just feels like a gift to us to be able to connect with you. Being in and at Color Conference and now being a part of your church services. Listen, wherever in the world you are joining us from, I love that God is giving me an opportunity to hopefully encourage you today, challenge you. That's what God's word does. He speaks to us, he convicts us. And the fact that he can do this virtually, that the Holy Spirit is as much here with me where I'm standing as he is with you wherever you are sitting or standing. God is with you. And I've prayed and I've asked the Lord to open up all of our eyes so that we can see him clearly, so that we can hear him personally and intimately today at Hillsong Church. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. I thank you, Father, for a church like this where we can know that we have leaders with integrity, that we can know we have leaders who honor the word of God. I thank you for this church, Father. And I thank you for what even right now in the midst of everything you are doing to cultivate and to cause your church to flourish and to thrive. I honor you, Father, today for how you are going to use your word to spur us on to spiritual victory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It was in September of 2008 that something happened that marked history. There was a Category 2 hurricane named Ike that caused extensive damage um, in the U.S., but particularly in the state of Texas. There were 110 mile per hour winds. They ripped through Texas, but particularly a little small uh, ocean community in Texas on the shoreline. It was devastated um, by this incredible hurricane that swept through. The beachside town is known as Gilcrest and Gilcrest was the worst hit. That little serene, peaceful community boasted about 200 homes or so. They had beautiful landscaping and walkways and sidewalks. And it was just a serene little ocean setting where people would go, mostly in their retirement age, where they wanted to just sit and have a little peaceful season of life. And yet, in 2008, the unexpected happened. Ike swept through. The aftermath of this storm, this hurricane, was absolutely devastating. In fact, People said that when they went to visit the site the day after the hurricane, it was nearly completely unrecognizable. In fact, it was once populated by uh, brightly colored homes and detailed landscaping and green lawns and friendly sidewalks, but where 200 homes had been, now only one house remained, just one. Other than that, it looked like mo no more than a muddied swamp a wasteland. There was nothing left except fragments of what once was. And the only thing that gave a little bit of a hint that there used to be a community there was this one house that was still standing. It's actually odd and quite shocking to see the images of this town the day after the storm. To see one house standing where there used to be many. And honestly, it caused me when I saw the image to beg the question, what was it about this house? that kept it standing through a storm that others could not stand through? What was it about this house that gave it the fortification to be able to remain steadfast no matter what storm came? The interesting thing though is that when I look at that landscape, it reminds me of some of the landscape of our lives. 
Because the truth is, when we look around us at the relationships, at the people that were supposed to go the distance with us, that were committed and covenanted, they said, to walking with the Lord or to their calling in ministry or to uh, friendship or relationship with us, the reality is that the older and older you get, if you'll notice, there are very few people who have actually built a house, a life that has stayed standing. Because the storms of life come, have you noticed? <laughs> if you've lived through the past two years, you've noticed that the storms of life come. Because the reality is, y'all, we haven't just been through one pandemic. I mean, no matter where on the globe you live, where I live in Texas, in the U.S., or where you live in different continents and different cultures, listen, we've all been through multiple pandemics. The medical one, yes, but political ones and racial ones, layer on top of layer of storms and hurricane. And if we want any chance of being able to have a life that is steadfast, unmovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord, then we're going to make sure we build houses, lives that have a cornerstone that keep us steady, no matter the winds and the hail and the rain that may fall. And they are going to fall. You don't have to go looking for the storms, just keep living. And the storm at some point is gonna come and find you. So I've been thinking about, how do we build a life that stands? How do we remain over the course of time? Where are the saints who will remain? The ones who will still be standing come hell or high water. The ones who are making a decision that as for me and my house, what we're going to do is we're going to serve the Lord. The political landscape may change and the cultural landscape may shift. The stock market may plummet. But no matter what, I've made my decision. My feet are firmly planted and I will remain. Where are the saints who have chosen to remain and to be steadfast? How is it that so many who were once strong were noticing them beginning to lose their strength? Or the community of faith that we used to be able to count on for some longevity and consistency. How is it that those virtues are becoming now more and more hard to come by? People are drifting away. Spouses are leaving. Parents are giving up. Dreamers are throwing in the towel on the dream they say God gave them. Ministers are quitting what they said wasn't a job, it was a calling. Why is it that finding someone who has weathered the storms and is still standing such a rarity instead of a common occurrence? Can I tell you that the older and older I get, the more impressed I am with people who have just plain old flat out remained. They've just been faithful. They may not be famous, but they've remained. They may not be rich, but they have remained. They may not be applauded or noticed or have a lot of followers on Facebook or on Instagram or a lot of likes on every tweet that they post, but they're not interested in that. They're trying to be steadfast and unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. The older and older I get, the less impressed I am with the easily Instagrammable or the easily famous. I'm interested and attracted to and endeared to the saints who have remained. And so I want to encourage you and us on this Sunday about remaining, about being steadfast. Oh, I know it's hard. I know that the storms have crashed down upon your house and upon mine. 
I know that it has been difficult to remain upright and to keep ourselves steady in the midst of such uncertain times, but the Holy Spirit himself will undergird us and support us so that we can have longevity and be faithful to our God to the end. John writes to us about that. John, he's the one who gave us his gospel, the book of John. But then he also wrote to us a trio of letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Scholars call this the remaining trifecta, the remaining trio. Because over and over and over again, this brother keeps writing about remaining. The word he uses most commonly throughout his writing to allude to this idea of being steadfast and remaining, the word he uses is abide. That's the word you might recognize. You remember in John, uh, the gospel, he writes about abiding in Christ and allowing Christ to abide in you over and over and over again. He writes about abiding and the main theme, the main thrust of the word abide is to stay. It's to hang out. It's to chill. It's to be steadfast. I'm a tea drinker. I like hot tea a lot. I probably drink at least one cup a day before I go to bed. It's just kind of a thing that helps me to wind down a little bit. I like green tea, jasmine green tea to be specific. And I'm the kind that I put my tea bag in even before I put the hot water in the mug. So I have the tea bag sitting there. Then I put the hot water in and I allow the tea bag to just abide. It just sits there. It just hangs out in the hot water. The hot water going through the tea bag, the tea bag meshing in with the hot water. It's becoming one with the other. I'm the kind of person that just leaves the tea bag in there the entire time that I'm drinking the tea. The, the tea bag is just remaining. I was with a friend and we were sitting across from each other having tea and I noticed she wasn't an abider. She was a dipper. She was taking that tea bag and just dipping it in and out. As we're talking, she's just dipping it in and out. And I was a little irritated by the whole dipping situation going on across the table. And I said to her, girl, you realize you can just leave the bag in there, right? You realize you could just leave it sitting there. It'll be fine. And she said, well, I don't like to let it sit there too long because if it sits there too long, if it remains in the water too long, the tea will get too strong. There's a strength that comes with abiding, with remaining. You know, if you like dip in on Sunday, but dip out on Monday, if you dip into spiritual things when stuff is tough in life and that's when you pray, but when everything is steady and calm, you actually don't connect with God. If you dip in and out, you will not have the strength that you need to have the scaffolding that you need, the foundation that you need, the rooftop that you need to have a house that can weather any storm that comes your way. So John, he writes to us about the importance of remaining, about abiding. I'm going to read to you from his first letter. It's 1 John. I'm going to read chapter 2, verse 12. And then I'm going to read to you 13, 14, and 28. Let's start 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. John says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. Verse 13 says, I am writing to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you children because you know the father. That verse was so important. He almost repeats the exact same thing in verse 14. I have written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. 
I've written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. And then verse 28. And now, little children, here's our word. Remain in him. Some of your versions may say abide in him. Here's why. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. John starts right off the bat and says in verse 28, I'm going to tell you why remaining, why abiding, why being faithful, not perfect, but purposeful and intentional. The overarching theme of a lifespan is consistency in honoring God. He's going to tell you why that matters and why it's important, he says in verse 28, because... Jesus is coming. Jesus is, is coming. I don't mean in theory. I mean he's coming. I mean the sky is going to split and the trump is going to sound and Jesus is going to appear. He's coming back. And I don't know about you, but when I see my Savior face to face, I am looking for well done. I want to hear him say, well done. I won't be perfect, but I can be purposeful and intentional and remain in my lifestyle, my walk with him over the course of life. I don't want to just be faithful in one season of life or in one decade of life, but over the span of the time that he gives me and the time that he gives you, I want to be consistent in honoring him because he is coming. When you and I keep in our view and in our mind that Jesus is coming back, it causes us to look at everything that is happening in our daily life, everything happening in the course of time and history as an opportunity to honor God because he's coming. We, we see things through an eternal lens when we remember that the reason why we remain is because he is coming back. And so John writes to us about remaining and he says the, the, the overarching reason why we want to make sure that we do that is because Jesus is coming. But then he does acknowledge progression. Did you notice in the verses that I read to you, he speaks to little children. Then he speaks to young men or adolescents. And then he speaks to fathers. He recognizes progression and growth in remaining. He acknowledges that you're going to go through different seasons and different stages of growth, that it is a journey, this process of remaining and honoring God throughout a lifetime. And so I thought for just a few moments, we could walk through each of those stages together. You could see where you are in the journey and I can see where I am. He started off in verse 12 by saying, I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. Little children is a phrase that he uses all throughout his writing. And yet, while it's translated into one word, little children, or two, those two words in English, there are two different original words that are used for little children, translated the same in English, but from two different original words. That first original word is translated little children in verse 12, but it has nothing to do, this original word, has nothing to do with age. It has nothing to do with maturity level. It's only a term that denotes relationship, meaning it doesn't matter what success level you are, doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, doesn't matter your age, your achievements, or your lack thereof. He says, I'm just writing to all y'all who have a need for a father. So he says, I want you to know that just in case you think this message might be for the person that's sitting beside you or behind you or in front of you, but not 
for you. He says, I want to clear the playing field right now. I want to level it all out and let you know that I'm writing to all y'all little children because all of you are in need of a father. If we want to have any chance of having a life that remains over the course of time and history, weathering the storms and the difficulties that we're going to traverse through, you've got to have a relationship with a father. And I love so much that John goes out of his way to make sure he uses that word that levels the playing field. Because what that does is make sure that the proud among us recognize, oh no, you need a father. It also helps the lowly among us, the ones who feel like we're too weak or we haven't achieved enough or we haven't done enough. We feel lowly in some way. It helps us to know that, that our relationship with God elevates us to sons and to daughters. We've been adopted into the family of God at the cross. All of us come level in need of the same grace and the same mercy and the same relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. And so John levels the playing field right off the bat. And he says, I want you to know this message is for you, for all y'all, because he was from Texas probably, for all y'all little children. Then he says in verse 13, I'm writing to you fathers because you have known him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. And I have written to you children because you know the father. I figure if we start at the bottom of verse 13, we can just speak to the children, the young men, and then the fathers. In verse 13, the word that he uses for little children is the opposite word from verse 12. This one actually means an infant, a baby. He says, I am writing to any of you who are in an infant stage in some season of your life. A fledgling stage, meaning you're just starting out in that marriage. You're just starting out in that entrepreneurial endeavor. You're just starting out in that ministry. You are young, an infant, a fledgling in some area of your life. Maybe you just came to know the Lord or you just sort of committed yourself to actually having, um, being a disciple and growing, and achieving some spiritual maturity. You're just recommitting yourself to that. He says, I am writing to any of you in that stage. And he says, here's what I want you to know about that stage little children the end of verse 13 I am writing to you little children here's, here's why because you have come to know the father he says I'm writing to you in this stage to make sure you know that the goal and the point of this stage of your growth and the development if you want any possibility of being able to remain over the course of time and history then you've got to utilize this stage for coming to know the Father. We had the privilege to go to Hillsong, South Africa. This was quite a few years ago now, but we were there, it was the time of our lives. We brought our th three sons with us when we went. We knew about a year in advance that we were going to be able to, to visit the beautiful church there in Cape Town, South Africa and participate in color conference that was being hosted there that year and church services. We loved it so much, love all the beautiful people there um, in that church. 
And um, we, we loved being able to bring our boys. It was exciting. And because we knew we were going in advance, we kind of saved up money to be able to take the kids. I was homeschooling them at the time. And I thought in advance, hey, why don't we study geography of Cape Town and study some of the things that are unique to that area, Nelson Mandela, apartheid, so that when we get there, I can take them to Robben Island to see where Nelson Mandela was imprisoned. I can take them to the museums and we can see the geography of, of Cape Town, not just online, but be able then to take them to Table Mountain and Lion's Head and all of that. And so I was so excited to bring the boys. And I, I thought, you know, they're going to think this is vacation for them. They're going to want to like hang out in the hotel and all that stuff. Oh, no, we're waking up every morning. You're going to every museum. You're going to see the top of this mountain. You're going to see this. Every morning they're waking up going, Mom, do we have to see something else? Yes, you do. And you're going to be happy about it. You're going to love it. And one day you will rise up and call me blessed is what you're going to do. You're going to enjoy this. And so we went to all the museums. We did all the things. And one of the things I got to take the boys to do was to drive outside of Cape Town a couple of hours to have a little safari, just a few hours on an open-faced Jeep with this very lively, learned guide that sat at the front of the Jeep and he turned around and he would talk to us about the animals we were seeing. We saw some animals we'd only seen in books. We also saw some animals that we've seen before in, in the States, um, in the zoo or something. We've seen some of those animals. And I remember when we passed familiar animals, I thought to myself, we don't need to know about these animals. Let's move on to the other animals. But I was so glad when he stopped at the zebra. There was a little herd of zebra and there was a baby zebra. And he paused there for a moment and he said, you know, I know you guys have seen a zebra before, but I've got to tell you, this is the first time I've actually seen that baby back with the herd in about three weeks. After that foal was born, we hadn't seen him for three weeks or so now. And he said, let me tell you why. When a new baby is born, the mother will take that baby zebra away from the herd for a little while. And the reason why is because the stripes on every single zebra are as unique as human beings' fingerprints. You can't see it with the naked eye, but particularly particularly the configuration that's right there in the middle of the forehead, is unique, one zebra to the next. And he said, so when a baby is born, the mother will take that zebra away from the herd so that all the baby is doing is zeroing in on the configuration of stripes on his mother's head. That way, the first two weeks or three weeks of that baby's life, he has come to know his mother, come to know the one who loves him the most. So when she brings that baby back to the herd with all those other stripes, that baby will never ever be confused about the configuration of stripes that belongs to the one who gave birth to him. The reason why when you're in a fledgling stage, it's not the time to go away from the father. It's time to cuddle up close and just get to know who your father is. It's so that you will know that it is by his stripes that you have been healed. So that when you are coming face to face out there in the world with all the other configurations that are trying to be presented to you, you will never ever be confused about who your father is. The one who gave birth to you. The one who adopted you into the family. The one who gave you rights and inheritance as a son or a daughter grafted into the family of God. You need to know who your daddy is. And I sadly think that there are a whole generation of us as believers that oftentimes we try to skip this phase 
we to try to jump right to adulthood, skipping this foundation of our houses. The strength of a good house is that its foundation of knowing who your father is, is solid. You have a, a clarity on who God is. The, I'm talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You have come to cultivate a relationship. And we have a generation of Christians who are growing up too fast. They haven't valued this season, this stage of just doing what a baby does, cuddling up to his parent, knowing what his voice or her voice sounds like, trusting and depending like infants do on that father, that mother to provide for you, to love you, to feed you. That baby can offer nothing in return. All it can do is depend, learn to depend the one who loves them the most. Any of you that have had children or you got nieces and nephews, then I remember when I had my kids and I'd take them to their checkups at the pediatrician. One of the things that those doctors will often say is be careful about taking a baby and bouncing him up and down on his or her own legs too soon. It's always tempting to sort of stand them up on their legs and bounce them up and down. But sometimes if you do it too soon, those bones are still soft and still malleable and too much weight, too much pressure on their legs too soon could cause their spine to just be slightly malformed or twisted so that they might walk with a limp for the rest of their lives if they put too much weight on their little bodies too quickly. Don't grow up too fast. Remain here getting to know the one who loves you. Stay there. Build a firm foundation. Remain there until he releases the reason why you're going to need a steady foundation, John says, is because you are going to grow up and become young men, young women. The word there in the original language is adolescence. It's puberty. It's being a teenager. He says, I'm writing to all of you who are little children, but I'm also writing to you who are teenagers, adolescents. You've grown up a little bit. And he says, here's why I'm writing to you, verse 13. I'm writing to you, young men or adolescents, because you have overcome the evil one. He reiterates it in verse 14 and he says, I am writing to you, young men, because you are strong. Because you're getting some muscle on you. So these three boys that I have, they are giants. They've always been big boys. Now I'm looking at one getting ready to turn 20, and then I got the 17-year-old and the 13-year-old. He's already taller than me. They're, they're like six foot, two inches tall, my older two boys. They wear a size 14 men's U.S. shoe. I mean, these boys are giant. Somebody come help me feed these people. They just eat all the time. Got these big old boys. They've got all these muscles all over them, their chest sticking all out. They walk around their house with their shirt off. It's nasty, it's gross. I'm like, put your clothes on, boy. They're just walking around showing off all their strength. Now, when they were younger, like nine and 10 years old, they already had a lot of strength. I remember around 13 or so, they could literally pick me up and throw me on the couch and we'd be wrestling and I couldn't win against them anymore. Now, this was before their bodies had fully developed, so there wasn't a lot of muscle on the outside of them, but they still had a whole lot of strength inside, and, and they were able to kind of pick me up and throw me around, and we'd wrestle together, and I realized that that stage, I remember it happening, where I really couldn't fight back that well anymore. They had me. They are athletes. 
and um, my husband has been really detailed with their coaches and trainers and stuff about making sure that there was not too much weight put on those boys too early. He didn't want them lifting weights when they were younger and their bodies were still developing. He would tell their coaches they can do push-ups and resistance things using their own body weight, but let's hang off on adding actual weights and dumbbells to their workout regiments too early. So it's only in the past two or three years that these boys have actually started lifting weights. And I'm telling you, once they started actually lifting weights, once the resistance was added to their workout regimen, all of a sudden, all of that power and strength that was always in them started taking shape on the outside of them. Now you could see the muscle that was in there, but now it was developed and it was cultivated and you could start to catch sight of it on the outside of them. It's why I've got big grown men walking around my house now with all this muscle on the outside of them. The power was in them, but adding the resistance allowed you to see the muscle on the outside of them. John says, I'm writing to you when you're little children so that you're coming to know the Father. But I'm going to write to you when you're teenagers and adolescents because you'll know you're there when the resistance of life is added. When you feel like this is weighty in my ministry or in my marriage or in my parenting or in my finances or my entrepreneurial endeavor, I feel like there's been weight added on to me. If the Lord has allowed weight something you feel like, man, emotionally, I can't carry this. Financially, I can't carry this. Mentally, I feel like I can't carry this. Spiritually, relationally, I feel like I can't carry this. The reason why he is adding weight is so that finally the power that is in you can begin to take shape on the outside of you. This is the time when people will start looking at you on your job or in your church or in your house or in your neighborhood and they will notice a faith that is powerful and palatable. It'll be heard in the way that you pray. It'll be heard and seen in the way that you serve, in the resilience that you have. There's spiritual muscle coming to you in that stage. So remain through the infancy because infancy is for intimacy but remain through adolescence because adolescence, that's where you accrue power. That's where spiritual muscle starts taking shape in your life and it changes the landscape of your entire spiritual life and walk with God. The dynamic completely shifts because of spiritual muscle that begins to take shape in your life. And then he says, finally, I am writing to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. Please notice that he doesn't say, I am writing to you adults. He says, I'm writing to you fathers or mothers. He uses a term that denotes spiritual parenting, spiritual legacy, the handing off of a baton, one person to the other. He says, I am writing to you who are in a season of life where you have lived long enough, where now you have the opportunity to pass on the baton of faith to someone who is coming up after you. Mentoring he's talking about here. So he's speaking to men and to women, whether you have biological children or not is not his reference here. He's talking to people who have walked with God long enough that they have a testimony, a story to tell where they can encourage someone who's coming along after them. He says, I'm writing to you fathers, spiritual parents, and here's why I'm writing to you, because you know him who has come from the beginning. He says, I'm writing to those of you who have come to know who Jesus is. 
not a program, not a platform, not a religion, not a routine. I'm writing to some people who have a house that's still standing over the course of time and you can fling wide open the doors of your house and invite some people to come in and take a seat so that you can tell them and show them the one who was from the beginning. He's talking about Jesus. Y'all, this is John here who wrote at the beginning of his gospel, John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was talking about Jesus then and he's talking about Jesus here. He says we need some people who know who Jesus is, not just in theory, not just in a Christmas nativity scene, not just through the testimony of other people. No, they have lived long enough and remained with him long enough and walked with him long enough that they have a story to tell. And in a world that is beginning to water down the gospel, in a culture that is generalizing God so that he is one of many gods and not just a singular unmatched entity without comparison and with no counterparts, we need some Christians who've walked the road long enough and who have enough years under their belt, who have tried him and have seen for themselves that there is a one true God who still has a specific name, an eternal name, a name that they are not afraid to stand and say, a name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess his name is Jesus Christ. He still is the chief cornerstone. He still is the lily of the valley. He is still a bright morning star. He is the one of whom the prophet spoke. He is the one who was born of a virgin so that he might become the light to all mankind. He is the one who laid down his life so that we would not have to pay the wages for our own sins. He was the one who was resurrected from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power that lives on the inside of us. He is the one at whose name demons tremble. He is the one who will return to judge the living and the dead. John says, we need some people who will tell us about that Jesus. And so he says, we need some saints who have remained, whose house is still standing, who haven't been perfect, but they've been purposeful, intentional about making sure that despite the cracks, or the wounds, or the scars, or the scuffs that their house may have because of the hail and the rain and the winds that have blown, their house still stands. They have a firm foundation. They have firm scaffolding. They have a roof over their heads, a father named uh, God who is the one true and living God, and they have a house that is still standing. And they fling open the front doors of that house and they say, come on in and let me tell you about Jesus. He says, remain. Remain over the course of time, a lifetime of growth. Because y'all, it's not about arriving. It's about remaining each wobbly step that we take is building our strength and our resilience and our fortitude. And if you skip any part of the process, if you skip over infancy or skip over adolescence, you will have missed some formative stages of your spiritual life that are required for you to have the assurance and the strength that you need to stay steady over the course of time. So he encourages you and I encourage you and me and us to remain. Why? Verse 28. Because Jesus is coming. He's coming. Be steadfast. Be immovable. 
and by the power of the Holy Spirit, be always abounding in the work of the Lord. Lord Jesus, I thank you that by your Spirit you give us the strength to remain. For those of us who feel like right now we're particularly exhausted and weak and feeble and faltering in some area of our life because the storm we've just been through has been more difficult than we ever imagined it would be. I pray for fresh wind and fresh fire, fresh encouragement and fresh strength by your spirit today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Come on, can we linger for a moment? Holy Spirit, come. Move in our midst, shift our hearts, soften us towards your will and your way. Give us strength, increase our capacity. Let us see as you see. Make our paths straight. Let your word fall like revelation. situation this week I want to pray especially you're heading into something and you're right in the midst of needing to make decisions about things and you need wisdom for it why don't you raise your hand why don't you put your hand on your heart father we pray Lord for your wisdom that passes all understanding we pray Lord for a wisdom from above for every choice that needs to be made for every decision that we have in this week ahead of us Lord we pray that we might operate in your gifting, in your discernment. Lord, that you would speak and work through us to lead us into all that you have called us to. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' name. I want to pray once more, and it's for every single person who finds yourself here this morning. And for whatever reason, you just know that your life's not right with God. I don't know exactly how you came to be here, but I know that God does. I know He has you here as a part of His plan and His purpose to bring you to a place where He might reconcile you to Himself. Maybe you've grown up knowing all about God. Maybe you grew up going to a Christian school or a Sunday school or a chapel service. Maybe you've known about God. Maybe you've even prayed before. Maybe you've invited God into your life before, but you recognize that there's a real disconnect between you and God's plan and God's purpose for your life. Or maybe you're here, you've never known what it's like to have a real relationship with God. Maybe it's one of your very first times in church. Maybe your first time today. And you recognize you need to make your peace with God as well. Can we have every single person in prayer, considering where you stand with God? And all over this place, if you're saying, yeah, that's me. I need to get my life right with God. I need to make my peace with Him. I need to come back to God or I need to come to God for the very first time then the Bible makes it so clear. If we would simply put our faith in Jesus, most of us get taught, if you put your faith in yourself, if you can be a good person, if you can do enough good things, then one day when you stand before God, He'll accept you because you've been good. But the Bible tells us there's nothing good that we can do to make ourselves right with God. And if instead of putting our faith in ourselves, if we put our faith in Jesus, in everything that Jesus did through His life, His death, His resurrection, if we put our faith in Jesus, then God Himself will come into our life. 
He'll forgive us of everything wrong we've ever done. He'll remove the need for us to live under any kind of guilt or shame or condemnation. He'll take those things away, give you a brand new start today. And His hope, His purpose for tomorrow. All over church this morning, if you're saying, yeah, that's me, I've got to get my life right with God, then I'm simply going to count to three. On the count of three, would you, along with every other person in this place, would you simply raise your hand straight up in the air saying, yeah, that's me. Raise it high enough, long enough for me to see it. You can raise a hand emoji in the chat if that's where you are. We're going to take a moment and pray for every single person who's saying, yeah, that's me. I've got to get my life right with God today. We believe in this moment. You're going to know God's presence. You're going to know God's forgiveness. And you're going to start to step into God's purposes for your life. Are you ready? On the count of three, why don't you lift your hand just straight up in the air. One, two, three. Lift them up. You're saying, yeah, that's me. I've got to get my life right with God. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, see you. God bless you. God bless you. In here, God bless you. Yeah, God bless you. Yeah, right over here. God bless you. Right up the back. Yeah, God bless you. Anyone else is saying, yeah, that's me as well. Include me in that prayer. I've got to get my life right with God. How wonderful. We're going to pray together. It's a prayer giving your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ. I can see people even online this morning on the chat there raising their hand. A huge congratulations. We're going to pray together. Yeah, more people raising their hand there on the chat. It's wonderful. We're going to pray together, a prayer giving your life over to the Lord Jesus, and especially if that's you today. And as we pray this prayer, would you pray it as well, and not just as a religious formality, would you pray it from your heart? We believe this very day we can know God's presence in our lives. Let's pray this together. Why don't you repeat this with me? Dear God, right now, I invite you to come into my life. I don't want to live life my own way. I want to follow you. Come and be my Lord and my Savior and my greatest friend. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, can we celebrate that decision that people are making? It's so wonderful. A huge congratulations. Love that you made that decision and people in this room are applauding because we know that that decision you just made has the power to absolutely transform your life. And so we'd love to do anything we can for you as a church. Uh, if you're connecting online, why don't you text the name Jesus to 84,000 and we'd love to connect with you, do anything we can as a church, get some resource out to you. If you made that decision and you're in the room with us today, we'd love to, on your way out, we'd love to place one of these gifts in your hand. It's a Bible and uh, it marks today, the day you decided to get your life right with God. And so even if you've already got one, this one's easy to read and understand. And if you put it somewhere, where you're going to be able to read it regularly. We know that God's going to speak to you about His plans and His purposes for your life. And so we'd love to place one of these gifts in your hand, really simple, on your way out through the foyer. Stop off where these are available at the Bible pickup and just let them know. I prayed that prayer. I'd love one of those Bibles. And uh, we'll do anything we can to help you step up into all that God has for your life. And same on the chat. Text that name, Jesus. And we'd love to help you in any way that we can as a church. How cool is that? We're believing for a phenomenal 
week ahead. I'm looking forward to these next few weeks in church life. We have the opportunity to be a part of some incredible things. Pastor Gary Clark is going to be with us. And in a couple of weeks time, is going to be speaking live here in New Jersey. And so that's going to be phenomenal. And we also have the chance to have some family nights right across our church. And so that's going to be happening in New York, in New Jersey, in Boston. And uh, we're going to be talking about everything we're believing to see happen over the course of this year. Some incredible updates of what's been happening in church life as well as where we're headed. And so those are going to be phenomenal to be a part of. So hope that you can be joining us for all of that. Um, if you're wanting to get more connected, then uh, why don't you text Welcome Home to 84,000 or come and see any of us if you're joining us here in the room. Just come and chat to me or anyone that's standing on the front row here. You're now part of the team. So that includes the whole Amici family. You guys are all now part of the team. Come and say hi to one of these guys. We'll do anything we can. We'll get you connected. And uh, that would be our greatest honor. I want to pray for you, believe for God's blessing and his very best over your life. And so let's do that. Father, we thank you for this week ahead. And Lord, we pray. May it be a week of your blessing. May it be a week of favor. May it be a week where we encounter the, the, the a felt sense of your goodness and your smile towards us. Lord, may we never graduate from that infancy that Priscilla was talking about where we understand and, and have an imprint of your love towards us. God, we pray. May our eyes be open to the opportunities all around us to be a blessing and to speak of your goodness and your gospel in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen and amen. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for joining us online. Have a blessed week, and we're looking forward to seeing you next weekend. Love you, church. Thank you for joining us for Church Online. If you're new here, we are so glad that you've joined us. And if you haven't already, make sure you text WELCOME to 84000 so we can better connect and care for you in this season. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button to stay up to date with everything we're doing here as a church. We love you and we'll see you right back here next Sunday.